You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Well, good morning. Last week there were some questions about the canon, and I noodled on that, and I thought that we would, we would do a, a review of the canon of Scripture and how we got it. Um, I think it's appropriate for the book that we're in, especially in 1 Corinthians, um, because there are still people who question whether or not the apostles have the equivalent oomph, if you will, as the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Gospels themselves, when in fact he said they would. And so we're going to just take a, we're going to stroll through the Old Testament and New Testament canon, how we got it and what it means to us. And uh, then we'll take back up in 1 Corinthians next week. But uh, before we do that, let's, let's open in prayer. Father, we're grateful for the scripture, for the fact that you left us with authority, the authority of the word of God that you have spoken and that was scripture from the instant you spoke it, but became our guide. And so as we look at your word this morning, we'll be traveling throughout lots and lots of different scriptures. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom, help us to be able to inculcate it into our thinking, into our reason, so we can explain to others why the scripture is so important, why it is the answer to all the questions that people have, and why it is alone. Uh, a representation of you. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. So, what is it about the writing? Well, last week, I guess I should say last week we finished up, we looked at some of the introduction. We looked at an introduction, um, and then we finalized, as we were closing last week, we talked about the fact that Scripture is the test of everything. It's the final word on everything. Um, We looked at several different words in uh, Jude chapter, well, Jude 1. Jude, Jude. <laughs> There's only one chapter. <laughs> Do you know it's actually incorrect to say Jude 1 dash or, or colon? It's just Jude 3. Uh, we looked at Jude 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you, to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was delivered to us once for all. And was complete in that, it was complete in that delivery. Appealing that you can turn in, contend earnestly for the faith which was once, once for all handed down to the saints. It was delivered to us, it was once for all, and it was complete. But it was being gathered at the time that Jude wrote that. It was being gathered at the time Paul wrote this. And, and the question was, one of the questions was, would they have known about each other writing? And, and so we'll look to some of that information today. So what is it about the writings of Paul, Peter, and the other apostles that makes their words authoritative and not the writings of others? In short, as we are working through the study of the books of the Bible, why, why indeed is it that we study certain books and not others? The fact is that there's an accepted canon of Scripture. The word canon, and, and for those of you who said under Jim's teaching, this will kind of be a condensed, reduced version of that um, The fact is that there's an accepted term. The term is used to describe those books that were inspired by God. The word comes from the Greek kanon and is most likely from the Hebrew 
Kane, if that's pronounced correctly. I understand if you pronounce Hebrew correctly that the people in the front row will be spit upon. So I probably didn't pronounce it correctly. Um, and from the Akkadian canoe, it literally means a straight rod or bar, a measuring rule as a ruler used by masons and carpenters, then a rule or a standard for testing straightness. How many of you build? Do you like a correct tape measure and a correct level? One that says the same thing as all the other tape measures and all the other levels that are being used by all the other people who are providing you with your materials? <laughs> Yeah, we'd have some unique looking pieces of, of construction if it wasn't for that. I actually use a, I have a little ditty I do on the Constitution and what uh, Stara Decisis has done to it over the last 200 years by using not it as the measuring tape, but rather the opinions of men. And so our canon, our measuring tape, if you will, isn't good commentaries, isn't um, preaching, it's the Word of God itself that we can all go back to and measure what is happening and what is being said by it. Um, the Old Testament has 39 books, originally 24, but upon influence by others such as the Septuagint, they were divided into the 39 that we have today. <laughs> so the, the, the Law or the Pentateuch was five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Prophets, originally eight books, which were then divided into 21. The former prophets, originally four books, then six, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, and 1 and 2, or Joshua, Judges, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. The latter prophets, originally four books, then 15, which would be Major, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then the minor, the 12 minor prophets, originally one book, then, then uh, 13, or 12, excuse me. Then the writings, originally 11 books, then 13, poetical three books, Psalms, Proverbs, and Job, the Rolls, five books, Song of Solomon, Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, and Esther, and historical, originally three books, then five, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, Chronicles 1 and 2. So you can see how those were split into what we have today that works out to 39 old and 27 new. Um, these books did not, none of the books that are included in Scripture were, were deemed Scripture by men. Rather, they were the inspired words of God the moment they came into existence, but they were recognized as so by men during councils where they were discussed and debated. The Jews and Protestants both recognized the 39 books of the Old Testament as God-breathed inspired works. Evangelical Protestants also recognized the 27 books of the New Testament as God-breathed and thus the total 66. Catholics recognized 80 because they deemed the Apocrypha as semi-canonical. When, it, when considering the issue of canonicity or the ability for it to be dis, cont, uh, contained as a measuring rod book in the Bible, there were four things to consider. Self-authentication. It is essential to remember that the Bible is self-authenticating since its books were breathed out by God, First Timothy, excuse me, 2 Timothy 3.16. In other words, the books were canonical the moment they were written. It was not necessary to wait until various councils could examine the books to determine if they were acceptable or not. Their canonicity was inherent within them because they came from God, since they came from God. People and councils only recognized and acknowledged what is true because of the intrinsic inspiration of the books as they were written. No Bible book became canonical because of the action of some church council. 
It's much like, if, you could, if I can put it into anecdotal form, the way um, elders are recognized in the church. They, aren't, they don't become elders. They do the work of an elder, and then the body recognizes that and, and authorizes them to be an elder. In the same way, these were scripture. The words were scripture, and they became, uh, they were included in the books in the Bible because men recognized that. Number two, nevertheless, men in councils did have to consider which books should be recognized as part of the canon, for there were some candidates that were not inspired. Some decisions and choices had to be made, and God guided groups of people to make correct choices, not without guidelines, and to co collect the various writings into the canons of the Old and New Testament. Number three, in the process of deciding and collecting, it would not be unexpected that some disputes would arise about some of the books, and such was the case. However, these debates in no way weaken the authenticity of the truly canonical, canonical books, nor do they give status to those which were not inspired by God. And then since A.D. 397, the Christian church has considered the canon of the Bible to be complete. If it is complete, then it must be closed. Therefore, we cannot expect any more books to be discovered or written that would open the canon again and add to its 66 books. Even if a letter of Paul were discovered, it would not be canonical. After all, Paul must have written many letters during his lifetime in addition to the ones that are in the New Testament, yet the church did not include them in the canon. Not everything an apostle wrote was inspired, for it was not the writer who was inspired, but his writings, and not necessarily all of them. Jim. Right. But the early church, even prior to 100 AD, 90. realized that the canon was complete. Right. So that's not when they said, oh, God's no longer writing these books and it hasn't been for 100 years. That was the first recorded instance when we know that the church said, these are the ones we officially recognize when they set that down. But those books had for years, for centuries, already been recognized as canonical, inspired, infallible, and inerrant. And the church recognized Right, and we'll we'll look at some of that as we go. But thank you for that. Yes. That was in the early three hundreds. Yes. Yes. Yeah, this was actually a council. There was, the, there was a council at Jamina. I'll have to look the word up when we get to it to make sure I'm... Jamnia, Council of Jamnia. Um, there were other times, as Jim pointed out, that these things were recognized. This was just when it was set down in documents. We recognize these and it's written out. Um, so, but the, 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 scripture, the canonical books had been in use for centuries. When this, when 397, uh, when they made that announcement, if you will, in 397. Regarding the Old Testament, the 39 books we have today are substantially the same as the original writings with the addition of the vowel points, reading aids in the margins, and a more open form. The painstaking process, when I say substantially, what I mean by that is the words are the same, but we have the vowel points added, and then in your Bibles, you'll notice your modern Bibles are actually formatted differently than they were centuries and centuries ago. That's the only difference. It's just like I have a chain reference Bible, and over here on the left is a whole bunch of chain references. That wouldn't have been in a Bible 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago. The format's changed. 
Um, the painstaking process of copying each new Bible of the Old Testament works ensured accuracy. And I was going to go through that, but I think Jim probably did. I mean, they would count letters from the middle and count from the top. And it, 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 it actually ensured that when we in, ended up with the role of Isaiah in the Qumran in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it was almost identical. Thousands of years later, almost identical. And so, for example, some of the oldest writings we have of, of Tacitus and some of the other well-received and believed writers of that period are a thousand years later. We have the writings of the New Testament from 20 years of the life of Christ. No, no other book approaches that. No other book even begins to approach that. The painstaking process ensured accuracy. Indeed, until the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1947, the oldest copy we had of the Old Testament scriptures was from 895, 895. The discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls confirmed what was already known to be true because it was expected that God would preserve a copy of his word for his people to receive correct teaching. But that, that being that the Old Testament was accurate. So here are the Old Testament books, the law, the prophets, the latter, former and latter, the writings, and the five roles and the historical books, poetical, Five, the, I can't read it on my little thing here, the five roles and the historical books. That's how the Old Testament was set up, or how we have look, look at it today. By the time of the New Testament, this threefold division shown up here was recognized. Now, Luke in, in chapter Luke, in Luke 24, verse 44, Luke says to the, uh, the Lord Jesus said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Other designations such as the scripture, John 10.35, if, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and then in parentheses, and the scripture cannot be broken, and the sacred writings, they were called that as well. 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul says, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. These things suggest a generally accepted Old Testament canon. The threefold division was also attested to by Josephus, uh, in, in about AD 90, by Bishop Melito of Sardis in 170, and Tertullian in 160, in, uh, between 160 and 250. Um, the Council of Jamnia in AD 90 is generally considered the occasion whereby the Old Testament canon was publicly recognized while debating the canonicity of a few books. There is evidence of the manner in which the Old Testament books were recognized as canonical, uh, and a fellow named Laird Harris in... Um, the inspiration and canonicity of the Bible has chronicled several of those. He traces the continuity of recognition. Moses was recognized as writing under the authority of God in Exodus chapter 17, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, clearly indicating that Moses is writing what God has said, quote, write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. I have... Um, Quite a few other, by the way, if you want them, quite a few other scriptures. There's pages that I'm not going to read every scripture. I'm going to give you the citation. But if you would like them, I'd be glad to send them to you or, or print them out for you. Um, but importantly, scripture tells us that scripture is authentic, that it is can canon canonical. <laughs> uh, coming from, and, and then looking also at Joshua chapter 8, verse 31. Just as the Sir Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the sons of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones in which no man had wielded an iron tool, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the sons of Israel. 
And then in Joshua 23, 6, be firm, be very firm then, to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, so that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. So the, there were criterion that were used for acknowledging that the Pentateuch was, was uh, let me restate that, the criterion for acknowledging the Pentateuch was whether it was from God's servant Moses. Following Moses, God raised up the institution of prophecy to continue revealing himself to his people. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. The Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come to pass, it shall come about, that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Then Jeremiah 26, and I, I'm not going to read the whole thing, 18, 8 through 15. When Jeremiah finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people. So that's Jeremiah 26, 8 through 15. The prophets to whom God spoke also recorded their revelation. Joshua 24, 26. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. 1 Samuel 10, 25. Then Samuel told the people the ordinances of the kingdom and wrote them in the book and placed it before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his house. Isaiah 8, 1. Then the Lord, Isaiah says this. Then the Lord said to me, Take for yourself a large tablet and write on it in ordinary letters, swift as the booty, speedy as the prey. So God commanded Isaiah to write it in a book. Ezekiel 43, 11. If they are ashamed of all that they have done, make known to them the design of the house, its structure, its exits, its entrances, all its designs, all its statutes, and all its laws, and write it in their sight so that they may observe it, its whole design, and all its statutes, and do them. So Harris concludes... The law was accorded the respect of the author, and he was known as God's messenger. Similarly, three similarly succeeding prophets were received upon due authentication, and their written works were received with the same respect, being received, therefore, as the word of God. As far as the witnesses contained in the books themselves is concerned, the reception was immediate. So there are three tests for canonicity. Um, number one, did the book indicate God was speaking? through the writer, and that it was considered authoritative, and then we can compare references. Exodus 20, verse 1, God was speaking through the human author. Then God spoke all these words, saying, Joshua 1, 1, Now it came, after, it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, and then in Isaiah 2, 1, the word which Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Those, that's test one. Number two, that the books were authoritative. Joshua 1, 7 and 8. Only be strong and be very, and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn, to it, turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success." And then I'm going to read some citations and not go through all of them. Um, if you'd like to copy them down, or like I said, I can email them to you. Uh, Joshua 23, 6. 1 Kings 2, 3. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways. 2 Kings 14, 6. 
Um, as this is a law that the law of Moses as the Lord commanded, and then 2 Kings 21, 8, 2 Kings 25, 23, 25, a king who did all according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after. Ezra 6, 18, do as it is written in the book of Moses. Nehemiah 13, 1, on that day they read aloud from the book of Moses. Daniel 9, 11, indeed, uh, Deal with us along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses. Malachi 4.4, remember the law of Moses. And then there are several other verses of note. Joshua 6.26, 1 um, Kings 16.34, Joshua 24.29, and numerous others that will, would take quite a while for me to cite them. But Scripture is full of references to the fact that it is indeed canonical, that it is indeed Scripture. Number two, was the human author recognized as a spokesman of God? That is, was he a prophet or did he have the prophetic gift? Deuteronomy 18, 18, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And then to Deuteronomy 31, when it, it came about when Moses finished writing the words of this law in a book until they were complete that Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord saying, take this book of the law and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may remain there as a witness against you. And then in 1 Samuel uh, 10.25, Then Samuel told the people the ordinances of the kingdom and wrote them in the book and placed it before the Lord, and Samuel sent all the people away, each to his own house. And then again, Nehemiah 8.3, He read from it before the square which was in the front of the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And then last was the book historically accurate. Did it reflect an accurate record of actual facts? And clearly, Scripture easily passes this test. The history it records is accurate. Um, every time men think they have come to some conclusion that something in the Scripture was incorrect, unfortunately, archaeology proves them wrong. And they find out that indeed it was correct. It's happened again and again, and there were too many, too many to recite. Um, but it's, it's an interesting study. There are also numerous other references to the canon of Scripture. <laughs> For example, <clears throat> in the prologue to Ecclesiasticus, this non-canonical book refers to a threefold division of books, namely the Law, the Prophets, and the Hymns and Precepts for Human Conduct, which was known by the writer's grandfather, which would have been around 200 B.C. Philo, around A.D. 40, referred to the same threefold division. And then Josephus said that the Jews held as sacred only 22 books, which include exactly the same as our present 39 books, as we looked at the division earlier of the Old Testament. The Council of Jamnia in 89 was a teaching house of rabbis who discussed canonicity, and they, these discussions concerned an existing canon, and the canon was the one that we have today of the Old Testament books. And then the Church Fathers... The Church Fathers accepted the 39 books of the Old Testament. The only exception was Augustine, around A.D. 400, who included the books of the Apocrypha, Apocrypha, those extra books that some Bibles include between the books of the Old and New Testament. However, he did acknowledge that they were not fully authoritative. The books of the Apocrypha were not officially recognized as a part of the canon until the Council of Trent in A.D. 1546, and then only by the Roman Catholic Church. And then finally, regarding the Old Testament, there are a multitude of quotations of the Old Testament in the New Testament. 
Old Testament quotations in the New. There are 250 quotes from the Old Testament books in the New Testament. None are from the Apocrypha. All Old Testament books are quoted except Esther, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. The Old Testament quotations by Jesus Christ are such as Matthew 15, 17 through 18. The Lord declared that the Law and the Prophets, a reference that includes all of the Old Testament, then summarized as the Law, in verse 18, would be fulfilled. This declared that it was therefore God's authoritative word. Christ's statement in Matthew 25, 35 about the blood of Abel, which was a murder, to the blood of Zechariah, clearly defined what Jesus viewed as the Old Testament canon. It consisted of the entire Old Testament as we know it today in our Protestant English Bibles. This is particularly significant in view of the fact that there were other murders of God's messengers recorded in the Apocrypha. But the Lord excludes them, suggesting he did not consider the books of the Apocrypha to belong in the canon, as with the books of Genesis to Second Chronicles, which is where the original Old Testament ended. And Matthew 5, 17 and 18, Do not think that I come to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. And Matthew 23, 35, So that upon you may fall, speaking of that earlier reference that concludes the entire Old Testament, may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed upon earth, on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. This evidence shows that the books of the Old Testament, as we have them in our Protestant Bible, were God-breathed and therefore authoritative and profitable, very profitable, the very moment they were written the very moment they were written. There was human recognition of the writings. Normally this was immediate as people recognized the writers as spokesmen from God. And finally there would have been a collection into the books of the canon. Then we turn to the New Testament canon. With regard to the New Testament, no writings took place until about 20 years after Christ's ascension. The last New Testament book was written about 65 years after the ascension. Most, this, this, uh, this uh, um, commentator said, most likely James was the first written between 45 and 50, and Revelation was certainly the last written about 90. Um, one of the fellows who's done most of the work on authenticating the canon in our day and talking about the canon, I should say, he says this, spurious writings as well as attacks on genuine writings were a factor. Marcion, for example, rejected the Old Testament and New Testament writings apart from the Pauline letters. He altered Luke's gospel to suit his doctrine. How handy. The content of the New Testament writings testified to their authenticity and they were naturally collected being recognized as canonical. Apostolic writings were used in public worship, hence it was necessary to determine which of these writings were canonical. Ultimately, the edict by the Emperor Diocletian in AD 303, demanding that all sacred books be burned, resulted in a collection, that collection, an early collection, that collection of the New Testament canon. All of the books of the Bible, again, were inspired the moment they were written. They were already canonical and authoritative as the Word of God. The church simply had the responsibility of attesting to their inspiration. This began immediately with the writers themselves recognizing their own writings as authoritative, as God's Word. Colossians 4.16, Paul says, When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. He clearly anticipated, understood that his words were canonical, were, were scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4.15, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. We say this to you by the, word, by the word of the Lord. The apostles also recognized the other writings of the New Testament were genuinely scripture and were equal with the Old Testament. 
Paul, in writing to Timothy, quotes Deuteronomy 25 and Luke 10, 7, and refers to both of them scripture in, as Scripture in 1 Timothy 5.18. He says this, For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Peter explained to his listeners that Paul's words, though hard to bear sometimes, were the words, were the words of God. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, he says, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. The New Testament epistles were being circulated and read in the churches. And it's interesting, we talked about we have been discussing the red letter Bible and, you know, putting the words of Jesus. And it's almost like my dictation program because I assumed that's what I was talking about because it, it spelled R-E-A-D as red in the churches. It was just, I thought that was interesting. Colossians 4.16, again, when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and you for your part read my letter that is coming from Laodicea and then 1 Thessalonians 5.27 I adjure you, Paul says, by the Lord, to have this letter read to all the brethren. So the, the letters were circulating. They were being read in different churches. They were given the authority of Scripture in all the churches. In the post-apostolic era, there were numerous writers and conclaves which demonstrated the canon that was already in use, as Jim pointed out, by the, time, by the church at that time. In AD 95, Clement mentioned at least eight New Testament books in a letter. Ignatius of Antioch in AD 115 also acknowledged seven books. Polycarp, a disciple of John around 108, acknowledged 15 letters. This is not to say these men did not recognize more letters as canonical, but these are the ones they mentioned in their correspondence. Later, Irenaeus wrote in AD 185, acknowledging 21 books. Hippolytus in AD 170 to 235 recognized 22. The only problematic books at this time were Hebrews, James, 2 Peter, and 2 and 3 John. Even more important was the witness of the Muratorian Canon around AD 170, or in AD 170, which was a compilation of books recognized as, as canonical at that early date by the church. The Muratorian Canon included all the New Testament books except Hebrews, James, and one epistle of John. In the fourth century, which we talked about earlier, there was also prominent recognition of a New Testament canon. When Athanasius wrote in AD 367, he cited the 27 books of the New Testament as being the only true books. In AD 363, the Council of Laodicea stated that the only, only the Old Testament and 27 books of the New Testament were to be read in the churches. The Council of Hippo, AD 393, recognized the 27 books. The Council of Carthage, AD 397, affirmed that only those canonical books were to be read in the churches. Finally and significantly, the Lord himself told the apostles that the Holy Spirit would certainly guide them into all truth. In John 16, 12 and 13, he said, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. And he also told them that their words would have the same weight as his. The Lord Jesus said in Luke 10, 16, the one who listens to you, listens to me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. With this, this would be our final introduction into the, into, uh, 
the beginning of chapter 12 of, of 1 Corinthians, the longest introduction I've ever set up. Um, we'll look at chapter 12, but we don't have time to start today. Um, are there any questions? So if I can kind of anecdotalize some of this. <laughs> the apostles knew who they were. The church knew who the apostles were. The apostles were writing letters to the churches, probably to one another. Paul would have been writing multitudes of letters. So would have Peter. All of them would have been writing. These letters would have been read in the different churches. The apostles told the other churches and told each other, read each other's letters, as Paul mentions in Colossians and in 1 Thessalonians. We have it on the authority of these men who spoke and walked with the Lord Jesus, who were the only apostles, by the way, um, that their words were given to them, as it says in John chapter 16, the spirit of truth came. He, he gave them the words that they were to write, and those words were inspired. And the church simply recognized those and collected them into a, a readable, usable format, um, which I am so grateful for the readable, usable format we have today. I cannot imagine papyrus and, and reeds and, and all of that stuff. Imagine the determination, but imagine the delight to know that you had in your hands so soon after the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, the very words of God about what had happened in his life and about what that means to mankind. Well, we still have that word today. It hasn't changed. It's as solid as it was the day it was spoken, and we have absolutely nothing to fear by basing everything we are, everything we believe, and everything we do on the finished, complete Word of God. And so when we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we begin to see a church gone, Jim, well, I was going to say a church gone awry. They had the teachings of Paul and the other apostles from a couple of years before. On these very things, Paul Paul references the fact that they should have... Remember how many times he says, Do you not know? Really? That's the, that's, the, that's the Greek version of the modern American, Really? Come on! So, they knew. They had the correct teaching. But the Corinthians were masters as... I, 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 boy, I don't want to just take them to task so much. All of us are masters at fouling things up if we don't faithfully exegete the Word of God. So, Jim, you had something, and then Brian. Yeah, I'm going to the timeline. It makes me look as if there were still more books physically being monitored. Uh, 't wasn't really an exclusion it wasn't like Irenaeus said or Irenaeus said don't read James don't read Hebrews bad stuff bad juju he just those were not in his dealings with the church at the time the quotations that he used at the time came from those other books and and you may find when Jim preaches on a given Sunday morning he doesn't quote from every book in the Bible which is probably a good thing because we'd be here for three weeks but that might be okay um, it's my understanding, at least it's my belief, that that is the reason why we don't see some of those four books. Same thing with the Old Testament. Um, at the time, there was concern about um, Ecclesiastes. <laughs> it 
Isn't that interesting? Song of Solomon and one other, which skips my mind right now. But it was mostly because Jesus didn't quote for them. But Jesus did not say they weren't canonical. It just, it didn't, he didn't need quotations from those books to get his point across to the people at the time. Did you have something to add to that, Jim? So, yes. Right. The canon was discovered, not something that was determined. So those books were inspired and authoritative. It took time for the church to recognize that because a book written in Jerusalem might not be even known about in Rome right. for three decades or four decades. But that doesn't mean it's not inspired. It's not like the apostles had a, an internet bullet board that they could just post their most recent blog post on, and we recognize that that comes from Paul, and it's instantaneously circulated. It took time because of distance and because of travel limitations, etc., for all of those books to be collected and for them to be recognized universally in the church. Okay, and now this is, this is sanctified speculation that I'm about to go into. This is not biblical, okay? How many of you have a favorite book of the Bible, other than me, who, whichever one I'm on? Okay. At the time, it is my surmising that there were probably some books that were really favored more than others, loved uh, while recognizing that all of them were scripture, and those might have gotten wider circulation quicker. And that's why you will probably see, well, Paul was just a prolific writer. And so that's probably one, one of the reasons why his writings were circulated quicker and more effectively. But bear in mind, they didn't even have the Pony Express back then. It took a long time to get a writing from Jerusalem to the Iberian Peninsula. Spain. That's a long ways. Today, it's, what, three hours by aircraft? Probably not even that long. Back then, it was months to get from one place to another. And so that's part of the reason why we will see different books not showing up if you go back and do a historical study of the spread of the canon of Scripture. That's why you will see that. Brian. Yeah, they, they had portions and some teaching. We've got it all. And I think when you have it all, you can really foul things up. <laughs> what, what, is, what is, to err is human, but to really foul things up, you've got to have a computer. <laughs> some variation of that. Any other questions? Do you trust the canon of Scripture? You know what? I think the Corinthians did too. And because there's a second Corinthians that has some delightful prose in it, information in it about what the Corinthians had been doing since letter one, since this letter, they did too. Paul brought the word of God to them. He brought correction to them. And they responded. They repented. They turned from their wicked ways. And they sought the Lord again. And that, uh, it had a marvelous effect in Corinth. To their, and their, on their giving, on the way they, they worshipped, on their trust, on their interaction with each other. I think they quit suing each other over dropped pencils and things like that. So the Word of God is quick and powerful, and it divides 
to the heart of the matter. That was a poor translation of that verse in Hebrews. But it's a wondrous thing, and it's been given to us. It's been, it's been preserved down through the ages, and we have at our fingertips everything that we need to be godly in Christ Jesus. Any last questions before we close? Okay, next week, you can start with chapter 12, verse 1, if you're reading, and I want you to recognize a couple of things that won't change any doctrine. <laughs> I don't do that. The doctrine is solid. But now concerning spiritual gifts, the word gifts is actually not in the original translation. It says, now concerning spirituals. Brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. But if you want to get full context, go ahead and read all the way to verse 4. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your incredible love towards us that you preserved it. You made it what it is so that we can live by it. We can trust you for every jot and tittle that Jesus said would not pass away. And so we look to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ again. But until that day, we have your word. And in that day, we will have your word, yourself, and your Son, and the Holy Spirit. It will be a wondrous time. Would you help us to be about the business of letting your word come into our hearts and divide, divide the things out that need to be divided out and strengthen the things that need to be strengthened and cause us to go forward in your name. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.